Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And this is episode 365, The Day That Game Died For Me. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, everyone, we are back. And again, we are back about board games because clearly board games, seriously, intently, the most important thing in the world right now. Right, Anthony? Only thing I could possibly think about. Ever. It's not. <laughs> Under any circumstances, board games. Board games. The world my... is fine. Let's play games. What? Board games. <laughs> so, of course, we're talking board games, the latest and greatest in board gaming. And again, we could not talk about the latest and greatest in board gaming with not without all of our wonderful Patreon backers. So, thank God for all of them out there because we'd be talking about other stuff that would not be as awesome as board games. So thanks to all of you out there who support us. If you'd like to back us as well, patreon.com slash BGA. Um, a lot of great content out there and a great way to get us to talk about board games and not the other stuff because we don't want to talk about the other stuff. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Let's keep it cardboard, kids. That's what I'm saying. Trademark. Anyhow, so we are talking about, I guess in some ways, Anthony, in fact, 
some of the bad side of board games. I don't think we've ever done this before, but we are talking about the day that game died for me. So we're talking about all of those games, series of board games, and designers that just at some point along the way totally, completely dropped off our radar for many, many reasons or honestly kicked off our radar, like kicked really yeah. far away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some some were dropped. We're just like, oh, why did I stop playing that game? And other ones were like, get away from me. I'm done with you. <laughs> So usually each and every week we talk about our acquisition disorders. So for the first time ever, we're talking about the opposite of that. I don't know what the word yeah. would be for that, but I'll let Anthony work that out. He's a writer. He'll come up with a word before the episode comes to an end. But yes, my friends, it, we've gone this this far. I mean, maybe we should say, I mean, maybe we did get this far because it's episode 365. So we've come full circle, ironically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. So we got a full year's worth of episodes. <laughs> so if you've never listened to us before, you can listen for a whole year now. <laughs> an hour a day for a whole year. Come on, at get least, on it. At least an hour a day. At yeah. least an hour a day. Oh man, crazy. All right. So again, we're gonna be having a really fun full feature review. So stick with us because I think it's gonna kind of blow you away a little bit. Again. Your friends out there who love board games to an obsessive level, talking about the games that finally broke them out of that trance. <laughs> you never, I never thought it was going to happen, but here we are. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with us for our feature review. Let's talk about what's going on with everyone out there, all our friends, all our listeners. What's our question of the week? All right. So I saw an announcement this morning um, that... I it just it gave me inspiration. Um, there's a new version of Carcassonne coming that is cooperative. Why? Um, why? <laughs> I don't know why, but people are very excited about it. Some people are very not excited about it, but some people are very excited about it. It's called Fog Over Carcassonne. Um, and so I asked people in the vein of that, mm -hmm. right? And there's other games that they've done this with, like CO2, sure. Second Chance, um, when they brought up the second edition of that game, brought in Cooperative Play. Um, the new version expansion for On Mars coming. I keep, you know, these are all about Telesarda games, but mm -hmm. got Co-op Play coming in. So I asked people, what's a non-cooperative game you'd like to see get a co-op version or vice versa? Maybe you have, you know, a co-op game that you'd like to see be competitive. I don't know. Um, so uh, a lot of good answers here. Um, Igers mentions Panamax, where players are really helping each other to fight the shipping crisis and get them ships moving. Um, this is topical, and I think it would be great because, you know, the, the game is about obviously competing shipping companies, but right now we're all in it together and the shipping company, <laughs> the shipping crisis sucks. Um, Barack mentions Crusaders, they will be done. I love the Moncala style action selection. I think that the only thing that really needs to change is the map and to add personal group objectives. I would love to play it solo too. So um, kind of bringing in just a, a co-op nature to it. Orleans did this as well, kind of taking the competitive elements and making it cooperative. Um, Carlos mentions going the other way, making Spirit Island competitive. I don't know how that would work, but uh, Jeffrey seconds that and says... Protect your natives while encouraging other players' colonists. Okay. Um, so maybe a one versus many kind of a thing. That, that could be interesting. Oh, yeah. um, 
Corey says terraforming Mars. There are already cooperative elements to making the planet inhabitable. Why not a version or expansion where your goal is to do this entirely cooperatively against a time limit? Uh, I know the Ares expedition has this as a variant. But yes. It's basically just shoehorned in. Yeah. Um, he mentions Orleans invasion as well. Did not expect it to work like it does. And so it seems that there's a lot of potential for competitive games to do some very creative things cooperatively. Um, I've had this thought about Terraforming Mars a lot because the solo version of the game is just that you alone are trying to get all those markers up um, within a certain time frame. Mm-hmm. You could just do that <laughs> with a group of people. Like we have four rounds. We got to get everything up. Um, so that, that could be kind of cool. Nice. Uh, so yeah, lots of good stuff here. Um, and David mentions Happy Salmon. Because why not? <laughs> why not make Happy Salmon uh, competitive? Um, what about you, man? Anything that you can think of that you'd like to play cooperatively? I guess you know, the, the first thing that comes to mind probably would be Underwater Cities. Mm. Because it's primarily kind of like a solitaire game. I mean, you are jockeying for position in order to get certain resources and, and action spots. But... You're really building up, again, depending on how you kind of look at it, you know, a blueprint or the actual underwater city. So it'd be interesting if there was, instead of smaller individual player boards, if there was just like a large board in the middle, kind of like Terraforming Mars, but you were each building to try to create this grand underwater city together. So you could score points for the different sections and the connections that you make in order to make the, the city grand. But I would love to see like a 3D version of Underwater Cities where it was actually built up and constructed together. And you could say, hey, look, our Underwater City has all of these different things. It has an amusement park and it has sleeping quarters and it has a casino and, you know, it has all these scientific laboratories. So I, I think that would add some more to the flavor of that, like an international space station, but underwater. So, yeah. That's cool. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. No, that'd be really fun. Um, I think the kind of game that I'd really love to see cooperative is a civilization building game where you're all working together, kind of building up a single civilization. Sure. And, and whereas like the, the game throws different, you know, outside civilizations at you. So through the ages could do it. Nations could do it. We could get a civilization branded game that could do it. I don't really care which one, because I like all of them. They're all in my top 100. Um, but one of them I'd like to see kind of tackle this idea of cooperative play, you know, instead of everybody playing one civilization and basically going to war with each other, which, you know, has, has connotations on its own. Um, let's all work together and build something fantastic sure. as, as a group. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, or even something like Twilight Imperium 4. I mean, if you play mm. Star Trek Ascendancy, they have like that all versus the board kind of situation. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to see that in Twilight Imperium. I mean, you're exploring the universe and you're utilizing technologies and things like that. So there could be like an extreme amount of bonuses for exploration. Uh, and maybe you could have some sort of like spy craft that comes into play to like utilize other people's technology. So it could be a little underhanded, but it could be co- overly cooperative, you know, where you're trying to terraform other planets to kind of maximize your culture. But again, trying to reach, maybe you're trying to reach the edge of the galaxy or something like that. Mm. You have to escape the galaxy, right? There's a black hole, you know, that's formed. The star has died and like you have like several millennials to get out of there or something like that. So 
Um, yeah, I, I think certainly something of that of that grand nature, that epic operatic kind of like extreme thing like that CO2 second chance provides for that. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's a, and there are some good games. I mean, there's a game that probably no one's ever played, which is Conquest of Planet Earth, which is a <laughs> flying frog game that I still love. It's my favorite flying frog game. And I love that game. And it, it has a, it has a competitive thing where you're playing as the aliens, but it has a cooperative mode to it as well. So uh, there's, there's some of those oddities out there. Oftentimes they don't work because one's almost always better than the other, but yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> Yeah, pretty famously, uh, recently on the Dice Tower, Trey Parker named Summit as his number one game of all time. And that game has a perfectly decent cooperative mode. It wasn't for me, but it's it's decent. It's good. Sure. The competitive mode of that game is terrible. So, yeah. <laughs> just terrible. I hated it. Well, I, I think for a long time, like what they're doing now with the solo mode, where it's like, it like a game slaps on a solo mode. They used to do that with a co-op mode. Mm-hmm. And you could play a co-op. And it's like, uh, not really. Like, why would you think that this would work as a co-op? Like, yeah. But yeah. yeah. Nice try, kids. Like, I don't know. As I've always said, just give tell me on the box what the best way to play this game is. Like, do the play testing. Don't give me 20 versions of it. Don't tell me it's one to nine players. Don't tell me it's solo and co-op and competitive. Just give me straight down the line. Like this is the best way to play it and you could do other things. But right. nonetheless, the variation, you know, is more or less, I guess, in board gaming, the spice of life. So yeah, fantastic. So, all right. That is what's going on with our friends out there. So if you'd like to join all of our friends out there talking about the latest and greatest in board gaming, Please, we have every social media channel you could possibly imagine and several others that have yet to be invented. Mostly it's me and Anthony just, you know, making funny faces at our core board boxes as we play board games. But nonetheless, eventually <laughs> they will be a social media based around cardboard. But until then, Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, Instagram, everywhere else that you would like to see us, we would love to be there. Hit us up, challenge us, let us know if there's somewhere in the world that we need to be because we're there. And we'll be happy to talk to you more about board gaming. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that's going on with everybody out there. Let's talk about what's going on with us. And let's let everybody know what our acquisition disorders are this week. All right. So I uh, was recently brought to my attention that there's a new game coming from Richard Garfield and Alea uh, Robinsberger here in the U.S. Dungeons, Dice, and Danger. This is a one to four player roll and write game um, on the upper end of length and complexity for a roll and write game they're saying 45 minutes to an hour which is right there with fleet the dice game and some of the other bigger meteor roll and write games mm-hmm. um and i'll be honest in recent years i've been a little less than enthused with roll and writes because so many companies did so many of them and so many of them were mediocre uh but richard garfield is one of the great game designers of all time. Absolutely. The Gathering, King of Tokyo, Keyforge, one of my favorite games. Um, Him taking a swing at the roll and write genre and not doing it in the midst of the kind of the fervor over roll and write four or five years ago, you know, taking his time, developing something interesting. Um, I'm decently excited, right? And the idea here, like you're delving down into a dungeon, so you're moving along these different paths uh, that are represented by the dice that you're going to be rolling, and then collecting different things and taking on different monsters it's a really cool idea so i'm excited i really want to try this game out um it is 
I believe out in Europe now, uh, but will be coming to the U.S. sometime in early 2022. So they haven't said exactly when yet, uh, but pretty soon. And there's an online version that you can play that's in German. Um, I've not had a chance to play it yet, but if you, it's on the Brett Spielvelt website and you switch to German and you can play through it on their website. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give that a go as well. But yeah, it's cute artwork as almost all of his games have, getting some decent artwork in there. It's engaging. It looks like my kids would love it. They We played um, Dungeon Doodles, the uh, Steve Jackson flip and write game. They love that. They just love the dungeon part of it. And that game was not very good. So if this <laughs> game is better and has a dungeon element, I'm really excited to get it out for the family. So uh, yeah, Dungeons, Dice, and Danger. I'll probably pick this up when it hits the US and I'll let you all know what I think. Nice. I, I like um, they're sticking with the D&D and D right. kind of situation. So that's a lot of fun. That's like right down the line as far as, you know, that's concerned. And again, it's, it's a good idea because it offers another way to play the game that adds depth, but hopefully not like an, ex- an exceptional amount of time. I think that's, for me, the roll and write set just take way too long, just kind of defeat the purpose. Yeah, yeah I, I hope it's not like Roman roll was rough for me. Um, Hadrian's wall is very good, but just feels too long. I don't know what it is about this genre. Like, an hour is not very long for a game, but when it's a roll and write, I'm like, God, it's taking forever. <laughs> you know? Well, it's because um, you're, you're basically filling out like a spreadsheet. Like you're, you're yeah. actually have like a little pencil and you're, you're like, wait a minute. I, I don't want to do this. Like who told me that this is not a good thing. I like filling out sheets. Like I like checking boxes. Uh, I like, I like the dopamine hit of collecting things and building a little thing, but I don't want it to take that long. Right. So Fleet the Dice game is still the only roll and write game that I enjoy that's longer than 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if this one add, joins the list because it looks good. It's cute. It's Richard Garfield. It looks good. I mm-hmm. hope so. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about a Kickstarter that I did back the base game. That's Tang Garden. At least the original one was Tang Garden. The, the new one, the expansion that's currently on Kickstarter is Tang Garden Seasons. Observing the seasons changing in this Euro-like, I'm sorry, Zen-like Euro game of breathtaking views. The last expansion for Tangard. This is what I like to hear. The last expansion. I don't believe it, but nonetheless, it's the last expansion. (laughs) It's making a lot of money. They'll make more. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And again, the last game that came out, the last Kickstarter that came out, did have a number of expansions in that kind of base game. So it's not at all surprising. Um, It does surprise me a little bit that they came out with this expansion so quickly. So currently this expansion is up on Kickstarter and you have until um, Thursday, March 17, 2022, if you're interested in backing it. So this expansion, um, like its predecessor with all the other expansions, is honestly a, about a game of decorations and tile lane. So if you like tile lane and you like these interesting dynamic kind of 3D cardboard trees and temples and tokens and people out there, it really creates a nice feel at the table. It's a lot of fun to, to kind of like see what you're able to construct by the end of the game. And that's always very satisfying, right? You're looking at it and you're like, oh, I've done a thing. I actually could take a look at it. And throughout the game, it's really primarily about, again, 
how you place the tiles, how they score off other tiles in this beautiful garden. And in particular, in which direction are your people facing? Are they facing the scenes that kind of line out uh, the, the garden? And that's really it. Honestly, we talked about this. We backed this. It's, it's not a bad game. I reviewed this. It's just a very, again, and we kind of knew about this. I mean, this is kind of the Kickstarter MO where these games are just like, they're not bad, but they're just okay. But because of Kickstarter prices, they're almost bad just because of that. It's just like, oh, this is fine. It costs over $100, but it's fine. And again, it's one of those games where it has beautiful artwork here. And the pieces, everything that goes along with this game is is exceptional. It really is an exceptional kind of production for a board game. So this one here, and again, what's really interesting about the Kickstarter is they they give this little flowchart kind of situation. So they actually try to convince you if you need to back this game. So what we're looking here at Seasons, again, is of course Seasons, right? So there's multiple ways now to play the game and add to the, the already kind of expansive base game with all of the other expansions that come along with it. So right off the bat is Autumn. So when you play Autumn, it's all about the falling leaves. So in this scenario, you'll be able to pick up the leaves and use them to kind of move up your track to score victory points or add them to a bag building mechanic in order to score hopefully bigger victory points by the end of the game. Again, beautiful little colored leaves on your game board, typically enough just to get me excited and wanting to play the game. But again, just another kind of like layout on that kind of basic board set. Uh, there's also winter. Winter is a little different. So basically what you're doing is you're playing with another small player board that's all about the main kind of area, obviously dealing with winter. So you're, you're trying to stay warm. You're trying to build up this area that everyone can live in, this palace area. You're building up the roof there. And again, the same similar situation. It's tile lane. You're trying to add tokens onto the board in order to be able to score cards for additional victory points. The spring expansion comes along and there's a hidden auction mechanic. So you get these really iconic red envelopes and you're able to kind of put in what you're going to be bidding for things. And again, this is all to be able to put new things in your garden. In this case, there's additional uh, nighttime landscapes that come into play. Summer, again, we're looking at more of the same. Um, so in, in this particular one, you're about joining forces to put together this majestic garden. It's a cooperative mode. So it offers, again, we talked about this a little bit earlier, competitive versus cooperative. Here you go, cooperative mode. And again, very similar to what we saw before, but now obviously you're trying to meet joint goals. There's a solstice mode. You know, again, all of this is about creating beautiful gardens. But now again, there is an expansive range of tools and effects that you can get and you're running up tracks to gain victory points. So again, not too crazy. Um, Equinox, you'll get an opportunity to add another worker placement element to the game. Pagodas will be added to the board. And again, it's all about adding tiles and having the particular arrangements of things. There's a number of different like unlockable kind of characters and elements and cards. It's a beautiful game. The miniatures are good. I mean, again, there's, there's no criticism here. Everything's great about this game with the exception of it is a very light game. And if you're going to back this game, the expansion's costing about $51 plus shipping and if you want to back everything, I don't know if that includes all of the other stuff that we had seen previously, 
but you can get 10 garden seasons and the base game for $96. If for some reason, and Anthony might be the person here, if he wants to back the Tang Garden Architecture Collection, it's 247 euros. But... You have to own the base game because what this is going to give you, Anthony, and I know you're a big fan of this, is a big box version where everything fits into like one major box. I mm. So you know what? Mm. Yeah. Mm. I did it to myself again, by the way. I okay. I ordered the Isle of Cats big box, and they were like, no, did. no, it comes with an organizer, and everything fits in there, and it's really quick to unpack it. And I was like, great, 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 great. And I did it, and I put it in there, and I'm like, this is going to live in the basement now. I'm never going to play this again. <laughs> Why did I do this? Yeah, I think that needs to be another top 10 games that are going to inevitably forever live in the basement because you'll never be able to drag them out to game night. Yep. Yeah, Tank Garden was one of those games where it had so many pieces to it that it's Im- almost impossible to repack, and you want to pack it in the one box, but you can't. But this is now giving you an opportunity to get a big box, which inevitably you'll you'll just hate just because you can't move that whole thing around. And again, not a bad game, but again, one of those situations where you're probably going to need a table just to lay out all of the pieces that could possibly go into the garden and again, that's awesome, but also at some point, the game was meant to be a light game. And at this yeah. point, we are just layering after layering, and I don't know why we're doing that. <laughs> it's too much stuff for a light game. Like, if it's your favorite game in the world, awesome. This is for you. If, yeah. it, if it's just a game on your shelf, like, and I used to be there where, I'd, like, every game I own, if something else came out for it, I had to buy it. That's acquisition disorder, right? You got to yeah. add the thing to the thing, got to upgrade the game. But at this point, the more I upgrade the games, the less I play them because they're harder to get out, you know? I and I know. think, you know, and I think we, we've talked about this a little bit previously. Uh, I, don't, I don't know which game we're going we're gonna to tag this to, but, and we'll talk about this a little bit during our feature review, is that just like movies you know big movies that came out there not every movie needs to be a trilogy and not every movie needs to have its own universe of movies right a movie can just be a movie and a lot of times now what we're seeing is board games that are following that same model where they're they're not a complete board game in of themselves they're a board game that seriously needs expansions to make it like robust and full but at some point, it becomes a lifestyle game. And again, if this is a lifestyle game for you, awesome. But I think that's a very small number of the population. And I just wish that they would invest, you know, in a, an essential model. Because, I, again, I feel like, the, like I want to back this. Like, I own the other game. I've played it. I thought it was okay. Right. Like, I want to back this. Like, yeah, more stuff for a game I like, sure. But at some point, like, am I going to play all this stuff? And also, like... At what point does it weigh the game down so much that it's not like doing more things that are fun or interesting? It's just doing more things. Right. And honestly, when you're playing a light game for like two to three hours, you're like, but why? Why am I doing this? (laughs) Yup. I'll burn you out faster than anything you've ever seen in your life, my friend. Yeah, no, I've I've gotten big boxes for games that are on my top 10 of all time. And I regret that even. So I, I cannot imagine doing it for this. Yeah, I think Queen Games, those big box with all their Queenies in them. I My Alhambra Mega Box right up here. Still have not opened it. 
Oh my gosh. I love that game. It's one of my wife's favorite games and it's just like, yeah. it's too much stuff. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a thing. All right. So that's our acquisition disorders. Again, if you'd like to hit us up, let us know what you would like to see. We'd love to talk about it. All right, Anthony, uh, we have so much to talk about this week. We are completely pole vaulting over our at the tables and heading over to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about the day that game died for me. Those games, those game series, and those game designers that we used to love and adore and collect all of the things obsessively, but at some point along the way, they just lost us. They did the impossible. I mean, damn it, man. We have a podcast about Board Gamers Anonymous. And even even us, they've lost along the way. So we're going to talk about those games, designers, and game series that we lost. And it's, again, I never thought I'd be able to say that, but it actually happened. (laughs) Yeah. No, these are games that all of these games at one point we talked glowingly about on this podcast. Um, Many of them we still own. And yet they've just fallen away. They don't get played. We're not interested in playing them. We're considering getting rid of them, whatever it might be. Um, and for a variety of reasons. And we're going to talk about why. <laughs> All right, Anthony, there, there's a lot to talk about here. I don't, I, I don't know. Do we want to start off with the designers or do we want to leave the designers to the end? I'm going to start off with the designers, I think. Okay. At least Go on my it. end, because... Yeah. Everyone already knows this rant. I've done this rant on this podcast at least three times. So I'll keep it short and get it out of the way. We're not going to end with it. Um, Stefan Feld is one of my favorite game designers of all time. Um, Until very recently, I owned all of his games. I was collecting them. That was like the one designer. I'm like, I'm going to get all the games. Some of them are hard to find. I'm going to find them. And then Queen Games decided to weaponize all that love for Stefan Feld that we all have. I, I still love Stefan Feld. I met him at Gen Con three years ago. He's an amazing person. I played a game with him, got a picture with him. Dude, Just so, so jealous about that. I, I know it was like one of the best moments of my gaming life. And it hurts me to say this, but I cannot keep backing these games for two, $300, whatever it is. Queen games is trying to ring out of me because it's just a Euro. <laughs> like, and Stefan Feld games are a little divisive among the Euro fans. Like sure. half of the people don't want to play them. And so I don't get my Stefan Feld games played that often. So why would I spend that much money for more of them? Um, so I'm out. I did back the first crazy big city collection. Uh, the, the two that are coming out first. I mean, they're mm-hmm. all coming together, but the first two. Uh, I did not back the second two, Marrakesh and New York, because it was so much money. And that it's kind of freed me now where I'm like, okay, there's some of these Stefan Feld games I don't love as much as others. So I don't have this complete collection anymore. I'm going to sell off. So I'm actually selling some too. So I'm actually going to own fewer. Yeah. Um, I still love Stefan Feld. Like the games of his that I love are still some of the best games of all time. But I just, you know, that amount of money and the way that they kind of just manipulate yeah. it. And a lot of people do this on Kickstarter. It's not just Queen Games, but they really got me. Like, it really made me annoyed. Uh, so I'm out on buying all of his stuff now. Um, I'll buy the good ones. I'll buy the good ones when they come out. 
Yeah, I initially had Stefan Feld on my list too, but I felt like I needed to take it off because I did back all four games. Now, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I backed all four games when when they were they came out in the first Kickstarter. Uh, but I did. I honestly, I was like you, Anthony. Early on, I was collecting all the Feld games, and I remember there was a board game convention in Brooklyn, which was FeldCon. I didn't get to go. I didn't know about it, but that would have been a convention. I would have been there, you know, first thing in the morning. It was really, honestly, I think it was Rialto that I, I eventually, mm. I did not like the game. And I felt there were some problems with it. And then I was like, but I have to collect this. And I remember picking it up, maybe it was $20 or 25 bucks or something. And I was like, all right, I added this to my collection. And at some point, like it was still shrink wrapped. I'm like, what am I doing with this? Like, this is a game mm. I do not like. I feel like there's some problems with it. And like, I'm never going to be able to collect all those games. Macau was, was out of print and there was obviously some obscure games I was never going to get. So again, it was one of those situations where it was like, or even speaker shot. I think that was another game that was like out of print and like $300 or something. And I'm just like, what am I doing? Like I had, I had one of those moments where I was like, what am I doing with this? Like, and again, I love Feld games. Like Bruges is one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, Amerigo is one of my favorite games of all time. Again, a couple of others that I have not played too much, but really it kind of drops off for me after that. Those two games are like maybe top 10, top 20 games for me. And then everything else is like, it's fine. You know, Castles of Burgundy is fine and the other ones are fine. But I mean, Macau is pretty great, but I've only played it like once or twice. So I haven't really got a chance to play some of his better games because they're honestly out of print. So yeah, I almost did that too. I don't know. I just had a little bit left of FOMO in me. And I was just like, I'm too tired to distinguish whether a game is going to be good or not. I'm just going to back it. But yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent. That yeah. Kickstarter was I'm trying to think what, what's the right politically correct word. I mean, it, I want to say it was insultive. It was just, it was, it was, it, it was manipulative and insulting. It was, it was terrible, but there's a better word to, too. Cause like they had, they had like, he and again, I love Stefan Feld. I was so incredibly jealous that you got to play games with him. I was like, oh my god, the one time I don't go to a convention, there's Stefan Feld, um, and I and I adore the guy. Like he has no idea. Like, but you know, at the same time, it was just like there's cards with his him on it, like baseball card kind of things, and like signatures on top of a signature, on top of a sticker, on top of. I'm like, like I just want to play. Like the genius of Feld is not that he's a celebrity. The genius of Feld is that he's a genius. I just want to play a very good version of a game that he has. And I think like the scarcity of his games and then the reprinting at such an extreme level just really hurt it. I, I don't know. It's, it's a really, it's, it's a really bad relationship. <laughs> you know, board game therapist to kind of jump in here yeah. and try to clarify this. Like, uh <laughs> All right, so I want to talk about a board game relationship that I'm not feeling great about. And it's one of my favorite designers, too. This is Albin Viard. Albin mm -hmm. Viard is, for me, most famously kind of like known for Clinic. Uh, he recently reprinted Clinic Deluxe Edition in 2020. I loved it. I did not back it initially. I know Anthony did. And I got a chance to play it. And then eventually, uh, I, think, I think I got it for, as a gift, right? Anthony, I think you gave it to me as a gift. Yep. Which now I get to blame you because then I had to start backing <laughs> all of the expansions. Yeah. Thank you very much. And I, I and I backed the COVID-19 expansion, which was a co-op version. Again, we talked about co-op versus competitive. 
And I was so thrilled, especially since he was donating money. Mine came in like, I think like everyone's came in like a cheap envelope, but maybe because mine came through the New York postal system, it was like crunched. I emailed the guy like half a dozen times and never heard back from him. And then during COVID, I was like, we wanted to do a board gaming volunteer event, never heard back from the guy. But really, those things are just problematic. It doesn't kill a designer or a game for me. And one of my favorite games of all time from him was actually, in fact, Small City. That was the game that I really got introduced to his games. And I love Small City. Again, it's another game where it's like a giant box with like a few handful of components in it, but still a great game. Card City XL I backed on Kickstarter. It was lousy. At least I felt it was just lousy. It was like it, it like it was another one of those games that like was it 402 or something where it's like six oh six oh four or something like it was like six hundred versions of a game you could play with a deck of cards and like most of them are not good. So it, again, it was one of those situations. And then he kept releasing clinic expansions, which normally I would be I would be thrilled. And I backed so many of them. I think eventually I lost track. I think I don't think I backed all of them. They're up to six. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Now, if you've ever played Clinic and you back the deluxe version, that's more than enough game, yeah. right? It's more like you don't get you don't you can't even play with everything. There's a zombie expansion that goes along with that. There's fire extinguishers. There's there's like a, a nursing home. Like there's so much stuff. I don't even know what are what's in the other expansions, and I backed them. So I know this is on me. I know nobody feels bad for me about this, but like at some point he just needs to stop and like essentialize a a collection because it's just too, I mean, I don't know, man, like, are we going to be playing clinic with expansion two, three, four, five? I don't know. Six. What were we saying? Six, six, right? Five and too many expansions. I think. And a campaign book, right? There's a campaign book book on top of it. Yep. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, it, it's not new to him either. Like uh, Tramways is one of my favorite games of all time. That's him as well. And yes. there are twice now he said, I'm done making content for Tramways. And then he's like, just kidding. Here's more content for Tramways. And then I'm like, okay, nothing else will fit in this box. It is packed completely full of maps. And the maps come and they're they're not even mounted. They're just like paper maps. And it's still full, right? There's like nine expansions in there. Uh, and I'm like, if you release another one, it's not going to fit because it doesn't come in a box. I have nowhere to put it. And then he released another one for Essen this last year. And I'm like, God, come on. <laughs> it's not going to fit anywhere. So yeah, it's not a new thing. Um, Small City is being re-released soon as well with Vital Lacerda artwork. And I expect him to do the same thing there with five, six expansions. So that'll be fun. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> all right, Anthony, what do you uh, have next? All right, those are our two designers. Um, the next one for me is just a company, mm-hmm. just in general. Simon. I used to back everything this company made. I have all of Arcadia Quest, except for the Kickstarter exclusives on the first Kickstarter, because no one got that. Um, I have Blood Rage. I have the full-blown Rising Sun. I have everything, right? I have all the stuff that they released. I have Zombicide stuff. I backed Massive Darkness for the full amount. And then at a certain point, I realized they the, the gameplay just wasn't there anymore. It was more focused on the miniatures and getting those big numbers up on Kickstarter, right? Yeah. And I did still back Marvel United, but other than that, I haven't backed a game from them 
since uh, Rising Sun mm-hmm. because they're very expensive. The campaigns themselves are fairly manipulative. Like they're absolutely trying to get people to, to fall in for the FOMO and give them all the money. Um, you often wait, you know, 12 to 18 months for the content. You get very little communication from them during that time. And the gameplay is just meh because they're so focused on getting all that content in there. They don't really play test all of it. It doesn't really gel together. Right. And even rising sun, which I know is a top 100 board game. I don't love it. I don't feel like it quite comes together the same way as blood rage, which I think is the best game they've ever put out. Um, and so I didn't back onk at all, you know, from Eric Lang, who's, who's a great designer, but I just, I was like, eh, I don't, I don't trust that it will do what it needs to do. Um, I didn't back after Marvel United. I didn't back the X-Men. I did not back the Marvel Zombicide thing. Like I'm just, I can't keep giving this huge sums of money to them for a mediocre game with a ton of plastic. Yeah. Uh, and you know, maybe some games slip through here and there from them that are amazing. But for mm-hmm. me, I just, it's so much money that I can't, I can't go in and hope that it's good. Cause I did that with massive darkness very much disliked the game. I was lucky enough mm-hmm. to be able to sell it for what I paid. I didn't lose any money on it, but I was so disappointed in that game. It was just not good. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was like $350 pledge. So sure. Um, not doing that again with uh Simon. Yeah. I, I think Simon is it's in its own class. I mean, I'm going to talk about the, I guess maybe something that's very similar to that, but I, I the thing that really killed me about Simon and I'm not, I'm really just not sure how to wrap my brain around their head around this is remember when they, you know, and again, I, I don't agree with this, but cause I'm not a fan of the secondary market, but remember when, you know, blood rage came out and everybody bought it and then they had like the late pledge and more people bought it. And then they said like, look, this stuff is not coming out again. It's, it's Kickstarter exclusives, you know, whether or not you agree with that, like that's what they said. <coughs> Excuse me. And then what was it? Two or three years later, they came out with their like rebranded individual characters that you could never get anywhere else, but now were like available on another Kickstarter. Yeah. And that was the thing that really just that really really upset me. Now I was not a person that like I had the Kickstarter, you know, version with the the fifth player and stuff like that. I still own it. I did not sell it. I did not make money. I didn't flip it. I didn't do anything like that. I've never done that with a board game. I would never do that with a board game because I feel personally like at some point, if you start making money off a hobby that you love, then it's not a hobby anymore. It's it's work, right? Then things have like financial value instead of fun. Right. So, but when they did that, I was, you know, I was, I felt really bad for a lot of people who spent a lot of money in the secondary market for, to buy things or people who purchased things and spent a lot of money to purchase them initially, thinking that they were getting something exclusive. And then like, see, was like, ha ha, not so much. And again, <laughs> like, if you want to do that, like do that, but like tell people you're doing that. And again, it, it was just, it was just such a weird moment. It really was. And again, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't understand. Like you could create other stuff. Like no one's going to lose. I don't know. It was disappointing. It was really disappointing. And again, like you said, they've just keep adding expansion levels. And again, it goes, it goes to just Kickstarter in general and not just CMON, but like, if you want that game, you have to buy everything all at once because you can't be sure they'll re-release it 
you know, or there's Kickstarter exclusives. Like I love Arcadia Quest. I bought so much of that stuff after the Kickstarter came out because I didn't back the initial Kickstarter. And like there are characters that are like just a single individual little tiny character that you may play once or twice in your life. It's like $40, $50, just a little plastic miniature with like a card. And I'm just like, so what's better? The fact that they tell you they'll never reproduce it and you just live with it or the fact that they tell you that, but then they reproduce it, right? Like, I don't understand. Like, I don't know what they're trying to do other than it just messes with people. Yeah. You know, you're keeping fun away from the table, but also at the same time, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't know if they get it, but I don't get it. So, right. That's yeah. You're creating, you're creating a market for collectibles, and then manipulating that market. Yeah, Um, with you're short selling, right? Like you're literally undercutting the the market that you made. So, yeah, and like I know they kind of like weaseled around the blood rage thing because they were technically different sculpts. They're like, no, 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 no. It's like the female version of this of this troll. Like it's the same troll, the same effects. Yeah, it doesn't like you know. And I I did back that actually because the one with the digital. So I have both versions of the sculpts Mm -hmm. now, but it's the same thing. So it's just eh. I, just play it straight. I mean, we're a small industry. We're you know we're we're a committed, passionate fan base. Just play straight. Like I don't know. It just it just seems weird. I mean, it's just it's just weird. It's just weird and unnecessary. Um, speaking of weird and unnecessary, uh, I'm going to mention a company too, Anthony. It wasn't here initially on the list, but this was a company that I loved honestly more than any company that was out there. This was Stonemeyer Games. Mm. Um, Jamie Stegmeyer himself is such a charismatic, amazing person himself that uh, I remember Scythe coming out and we talked about it. We, we backed it initially when if I remember being at like at a conference, like with my like laptop, like waiting for it to, you know, to right. go so I could back it that. and like and trying to get like an early copy and predicting what actually came out to be the biggest backed individual non-IP board game, you know, at least at the time ever for, for Stegmaier or for anything else on Kickstarter. And I was so glad and happy to support that and all the other expansions that came along. And I've always been a big defender. Scythe, I think, made it up to number two with the, with the uh, Fenris expansion. So I'm a big fan of that. And I've loved his games, uh, Viticulture, especially the Essential Edition. I love the fact that he came out and he revised Viticulture in a way that made it manageable. So you got to play the whole game in the best way possible. And then obviously you had a game like, Kick, um, not Kickstarter based, but you had a game like Wingspan that was just like revolutionary for so many people out there. And he opened up and did My Little Scythe, which was a fan creation. And I was like thrilled. I'm like, this guy is doing everything right. The downside to this was obviously, especially over time, like he did have some misses, right? Euphoria was was pretty broken in a lot of ways. And I was like, all right, so you could have some losses. You could have some mistakes throughout the way. But more recently and more often than now, his games were hard misses, like hard misses. And they were at a higher and higher price tag. And instead of just going like, you know what, um, we, we did what we could. It didn't work out. He was kind of defending um, games that were not only good, but he was really going after reviewers, not us, because we did not have access to those kind of games initially, but like Charterstone. Charterstone was, again, everyone could differ, and that's completely fine. If you love it, continue to love it. But I found that like fundamentally, tremendously disappointing. Tapestry was a game that 
I thought was going to be like the greatest game of all time. And we were all pain through the nose for that game. And it was, it was amazingly problematic and like broken. It was like legitimately a broken game. Uh, Pendulum was probably the height of this where we all saw the game and we're like, Oh, this has got some serious problems. He's like, no, all of you have serious problems. And we're <laughs> like, like you don't have to be defensive. Like sometimes things break. Um, I've talked about this previously and maybe it's, and again, it's, it's a weird thing. Maybe it's that there's so much love for him and he's got such a committed, you know, group of uh, board game, like reviewers, not, not just reviewers, but like play testers specifically that he's not getting the real feedback that he needs in order to make a great game again. Right. He's such an icon of the industry that nobody wants to tell him his games are bad. But he's had some really bad games, especially like the last three, and some other ones were eh, not so great. But nonetheless, like it just, you know, Stegmeyer game was, or Stonemeyer game, I should say better. Stonemeyer game was an instant buy for me. I didn't even think about it. And now it's just a game, it's now just, it's, it's coming from a publisher that I don't buy it until it goes out to the market and everyone plays it first. And it breaks my yeah. heart because I was a big fan of the company. Yeah, no, it's funny. Like, yeah, that Stonemeyer badge used to mean this has been tested. We know it's good. You can buy it. It'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and now it means, well, maybe not so much. You should check. You should wait and see. Right. And I like Rolling Realms. I think it's the mm-hmm. only game of theirs I've liked in the last like two, three years. Tapestry wasn't terrible, but it was broken. Like you said, I think they've addressed that with expansions, but I haven't gone back on the expansion. So I don't yeah. know. Um, Libertalia is probably a safe bet for them because that's a popular, well-known, historically good game. The, their Reverse. new one that's coming out right now. Yeah. But I don't know if that one really counts as much because, it, again, it's like a game that's been around that's just been updated. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's tough. Like the developers of Scythe and Viticulture, two of the best games of all time. And we just like keep getting just like duds <laughs> the last yeah. few years. So hopefully Pendulum. it's a lull. Yeah. Like, you know, it could be like a Pixar style lull, you know, like cars and monster university kind of a lull in the, in the, in the flow. But um, yeah, I'm with you. It's been tough. I, I have not, I did not, I never played pendulum. We played tapestry mm-hmm. cause we had a review copy and we played it and we discussed it. But uh, a lot of the stuff is just, yeah. Like when I spent my whole winter break playing Charterstone, I'm like, I'm going to get through this whole thing too. in a week. And then I did. And I felt like I wasted a week, so I'm like, I'm not going back. Um, at yeah. least not at that level. Yeah, that was the weirdest ending of a board game I've ever played. And yeah, the funny thing about that was you could you could play the board once it's complete. And my game group was like, nope, let's put this away, and never talk about it again. I'm just like, but I when I I purchased Charterstone. And I had, and again, I was so committed to Stonemaier Games and their success that, like, I bought it and the recharge pack at the same oh, time no. <laughs> without, without back, whatever playing the game. I'm like, it's a Stonemaier game, you know, it's a Euro game. Why would it not be one of the best games of all time? And like, luckily, I played a friend's copy of it. I'm like, okay, cool. Can I return this? Because yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it broke me. That was definitely the the the, the day that died for me. So. Yeah. All right, let's talk about board games or board game series of board games. Yeah, so um, I'm going to play off of what you just said. I'm going to move something up a little bit because I think it fits, and I'll sure. talk about a couple things. So legacy games in general, 
uh, have kind of died for me. And sure. So here's what happened. Here's my experience with legacy games. I never played Risk Legacy. I got in on Pandemic Legacy. I played sure. it with my wife. We loved it. It was amazing. And so I was like, this is the second coming of board games. This is amazing. I can't believe mm-hmm. we've done this. And so for two or three legacy games after that, I was all in. Mm-hmm. So first, we had Seafall. <laughs> then we had Charterstone. <laughs> and so at a certain point, you realize like, Oh, actually, it's really hard to make a, a legacy game like this, and they yeah. generally do not work. Yes. So, um, I tried two or three games over the course of you know a two year period, and none of them really clicked for me. Um, so I've stopped purchasing anything that says legacy, and most games don't say it anymore. They'll say like you know evolving campaign or something like that. Yeah, that that's how um, bad it is now, right? Like C4. Yeah, the brand is bad. Like no one wants to say legacy because if you say legacy yeah. people are like, "Nah, it's probably not going to work." So, I'm kind of I I actively avoid it. I don't want a game that's going to try to evolve like that over time because they just don't work, right? Mm. Like there's and there's been a few that have come out since then that have been like Machi Cora Legacy, mm. there's Betrayal, The House on the Hill Legacy, which by all accounts is decent. If sure. you like Betrayal, I don't like Betrayal, so I haven't tried it. Um, Clank Legacy. Clank. Yeah. Uh, again, if you like Clank, apparently it's great, but I don't like Clank. So I have not gone back to the Legacy genre since, and I don't know what would bring me back. You know, there was rumors for a while of a Terraforming Mars Legacy game that seems to have died. I don't know if they're still working on that. That might bring me back just to try it. I don't know if I would like it. Um and probably the last thing I played, and it's not really a legacy game, it's a storytelling game, but Time Stories uh, was like the last thing in this ballpark genre. Sure. And it's brilliant, right? I mm-hmm. love Time Stories. And so this isn't like a, I don't like this game anymore type of thing. It's the fact, the way it's designed, the way it's structured requires a specific group of people to sit down and play for five to six hours. Right. Mm. So you need a committed group that can sit down and play through a module, probably like a Twilight Imperium level of commitment for that module. Um, And so two or three things happen here. One, if you have the wrong group, it's not fun because you have one or two people who are just not. They're not there for that. Two, if you can't play through the entire module at once, it doesn't work because, you know, you try to reschedule, you try to get the same people back together. It doesn't really work in that way. Um, and because it's story-based, if you break it up and you don't come back to it for a week or two, it's almost like a, a role-playing game where you don't play for three or four weeks. And you're like, I don't remember what I was doing. It's not fun either. So, And legacy games have the same problem, where if you don't play for a long enough period of time, you're like, where were we? What were we doing? What new rules got added? So it just becomes... Time stories and legacy games in general become very situational. They require a certain group of people for a certain amount of time, all committed at the same level. And a lot of people out there, some of you listening right now, like I have a group like that and that's awesome. I'm glad for you. (laughs) Like I did not, I still do not. And it just doesn't work. So I've just stopped trying. Um, It doesn't mean the games are bad. It doesn't mean they don't work. I'm sure they're great for some people. But I've just any game like that, time stories, legacy games, etc. I've just avoiding at this point because I just I can't make it work. It's not fun. So yeah, no, that's unfortunate. I mean, I think 
Risk Legacy was lightning in a bottle. I, I know you haven't played it. I, I've loved it. I didn't play the Legacy pandemic versions of those games. It's just not something that I, I was intrigued into. I know of them. I've I've read through and, and heard a lot about them. But everything else since then has been bad. And I think the funniest thing or the worst thing in the world is that that honestly, and I'm just going to take a shot in the dark. I think everybody wants to play a legacy game. I think everybody loves the concept of a game that has like significant evolving changes that are just no going back, right? The fact to be able to rip up a card or a character changes or the board state changes, like to have that kind of storytelling element is just above and beyond. And yeah. I, I'm just, I'm really, I'm really heartbroken that, it didn't do a better job. I own time stories, but just the base game, I've never, you know, ventured out to pick up all the expansions yet. And I was hoping that this would be like revolutionary, but again, it's just very surprising and very unfortunate. So yeah, after risk legacy and I, that was really nothing else for me on that. So again, I wish it would work. So on, (laughs) On that same uh, note, Anthony, for me, one of the things that I was really hoping was going to be revolutionary and was for like five minutes and and then at some point dropped off the deep end. And again, I'm, I'm really kind of surprised by this was the card crafting system. Now, AEG is best known for the card crafting system, but a lot of other companies have since done this. In fact, card crafting, I think, has been around for quite some time. I think Gloom was one of the games, I think one of the early games that I played where you're sliding cards in to kind of get, you know, different effects or you're laying cards on top of each other. So primarily the, the game that I'm thinking about is Mystic Veil. Vale. Mystic Veil vale came out and I was just like enthralled with this idea of these druids, you know, sliding cards together to kind of make this elaborate deck in your hand, but also trying not to get corruption. So there was a press your luck element to the card crafting that I felt was really different because deck building up to that point didn't really necessarily have a downside other than the fact that you could get your deck kind of filled with like dead cards. So this one was like, it was deck building, but it was also press your luck. And I was like, this is awesome. And then came out custom heroes, which was like a lighter version of it. And it was like way too light and generic. And then came out edge of darkness, which was supposed to be the, main game that was supposed to come out and you know john john declare here the idea for this was supposed to be like this evolving adventure of just kind of building up your deck and getting stronger and stronger and at the same time all of these game systems had so many expansions to them and i own a lot of them for mystic veil in particular and it just never got better it just got more complicated to get the cards that you needed to slot in together in order to be successful. So like every expansion that I got, I always thought it was going to make the game fundamentally better. And not only did it not make it fundamentally better, but it watered down the options and the outcomes that you really wanted to have. So it made it worse. So what should have been a really cool deck builder with a press your luck element turned out to be just constantly constant disappointment and then eventually i was just like well why am i why am i continuing to to kind of like invest in a system that's not making the game more dynamic it's just adding more cards it's not really going anywhere so that whole you know card crafting system 
and and again, it goes by a, a number of other names, was something that I was like enthralled with, especially initially. But now at this point, I'm just kind of done with it. Yeah, I don't think I was ever in on it. Um, <laughs> I played Mar. I think I've played Mystic Veil twice. Uh, we played it when it first came out when they launched it at Origins. Yeah, and I was not impressed. Um, and I've never really played the expansion, so I don't really know. Sure. Uh, I played Custom Heroes. That was not a great game. And yeah, it seems like a cool idea. It just has never worked for yeah. me personally. All right. Um, so for me, I'm going to jump into a couple games here uh, that have some similar DNA. Uh, they're both from Fantasy Flight, which should tell you immediately that the reason they fell <laughs> off is because they got canceled at some point. Um, and they just don't get the support they need because that's Fantasy Flight demo. So the first is Battlelore Second Edition, which is a brilliant game, and I love it. And I have all the stuff for it because when they canceled it, I bought it all on clearance. But because they canceled it kind of midstream, you don't have all the factions uh, from that universe. Elves. Don't have the elves, don't have the dwarves. We're missing content. We only have three factions. And the amount of content available for each faction is not really balanced out. And so the game itself, if you do play it, it's still very good, but there's just not as much replayability. There's not as many options. There's not as many permutations as you might like. And just because it's a dead game, you're like, I don't know. There's just not as much there. I want Battlelord to come back and I want it to not be with fantasy flight so that we get more content. You know, this is one of the very few games that I would like to actually see a Kickstarter for because then I know we would get all the factions that we want, right? And it wouldn't yeah. be in the Terranoth universe necessarily, but whatever universe it is, we would get all the factions because it'd be on Kickstarter, it would cost $500, whatever, and I would probably <laughs> back that. So um, give up the license, Fantasy Flight, give it to someone else, let them make a mm-hmm. good game, and I will go in on it. Stop canceling stuff, because it's dumb. Knock it off. Um the other one from Fantasy Flight that I want to mention was a Game of Thrones, the card game. Mm-hmm. I loved this game, right? The first edition of the game, I had it. I had the little plastic pieces that it came with. They were painted in my box. I had a bunch of expansions for it. We played it all the time. And then they're like, we're going to redo it. This is the thing they do. They're like, we're going to reset everything. We're going to do a second edition. All that content you have is garbage now. Sell it. It's yeah. worth nothing. Um. And so I went in and I bought the second edition and it's fine because it's the same basic structure of a game and they refined it and they tweaked it and they adjusted some things, but it's still a Game of Thrones, the card game and they've broken it out in all these different houses and the way that the content got doled out from there made it so you had to buy a lot of stuff a lot more often than you had to buy it from the first game. And you had to keep doing it to be able to build a decent deck to be able to play within the same structure. So it cost more money to play a slightly different version of the game I already had. And so I just stopped playing it. Now, I could have kept the original version and played that, and that would have been fine because I didn't play it competitively. But I wanted to be in on the new version because I get all the new content, right? And it just that's not how it works because <laughs> it was very expensive. So... Um, this this really comes down to Fantasy Flight's release model and their inability to support a game for a very long period of time. And their this I, constant urge that they have to cancel stuff and restart it to generate, I don't know, new buzz. They recently did that with Lord of the Rings, the card game. And again, I bought the new version. And again, it's the same content slightly <laughs> tweaked. And again, it's really annoying. Um, 
So yeah, Battle Lore and Game of Thrones, both amazing games. You should play them, but I don't play them anymore because of these reasons. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was the same reason why I honestly stopped collecting the comic series that I was collecting when they decided they were going to reboot it and nothing that you previously collected was worth anything. Mm. And I remember you and I were at, I can't remember which convention it was. I don't know if it was Gen Con or if it was something else, but like when they came out with Game of Thrones and they, the, the card game and they came out with the new edition and then like these poor people selling their full collections, like just throwing them in the, you know, just throwing them away. Like everything from the game for like three, $400. I'm just like, wow, that's like heartbreaking because that was like you said, Anthony, it was like a competitive game you could play. I remember like watching endless videos of like, you got to buy two star decks and you got to buy this faction and you got to organize this. And people built like companies and websites around this, right? That was the, the general gist of it. Like, Hey, this is something that's like a lifestyle game and like learn how to build a great deck and put together the different factions. And then inevitably they just got rid of it. Like, unceremoniously and you're just like well i'm done like that's it like there's nothing else to it so no i i remember that quite well and quite and really felt bad about that too because that was like some of the early starting of board gaming and like there was so much money time and investment into it and just like and now it's gone so whatever all right i'm going to talk about two games that i guess also kind of go go along each other but they're two very different games from two very different companies I mean, maybe I shouldn't say they're two very different games. In fact, they're very similar. Uh, this is Memoir 44, and this is Rivet Wars. Now, both of these games are, again, two-player games about little war on either side. Uh, Memoir 44, obviously, is a classic game from, game from Days of Wonder. It's about some of the historic battles of World War II, typically about Omaha Beach. But again, there is... Endless numbers of expansions here that go along with this. River Wars was a chibi version of that, kind of. And also a very cute, adorable little Kickstarter that came out. And again, it was one of those situations where if you back the Kickstarter, you got practically everything. If you did not back the Kickstarter, you now were going to spend the rest of your life paying $50, $60, $70 for a little tiny chibi miniature that may or may not come into play in your battle. And it's really, it really just kind of mentally between both of these games, the fact that they have so many expansions. And I think up until recently I did was picking up Memoir 44 expansions and just putting them in my closet. I think I picked up the airplane version of their expansion. I was like, oh, this is cool. I will never play this. Let me put this away. And again, it's just, it's just those miniature games, especially when they're two player that you need a very very specific i guess other individual slash game group in order to play these and they are very expensive for what they are i mean these are even more expensive in some cases than simon because between the individual pieces here and you know and like memoir 44 which is days of wonder and obviously uh, rivet wars is from simon so again it's like how much plastic of the same pretty much the same premise of the same game a two-player military battle that if you pick up endless expansions you could do more things but you're probably not going to do the more things so again this was just i stopped collecting this just because of of the weight of collecting all of the individual plastic pieces that you deal with simon but also just even with river wars like 
these are both World War II-esque or historic kind of games, and I just can't keep collecting it all. It's just too much. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. I I always wanted um, to get in on either of these games, really, and it was just another big, long, collectible thing, and I'm just, I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, all right, so I have one more that I wanted to mention, and it's relatively recent. And this is one of my favorite games of all time. It's in my top 100, and we'll probably stay there for the sh- for a little bit of time. But it's it's kind of dead to me at this point, and it's mostly COVID's fault. Um, Keyforge, Keyforge is uh, Richard Garfield's uh, kind of spiritual successor to Magic: The Gathering that takes away the deck construction. It's all algorithm based, and it was fantastic. I, I jumped in immediately. There was local events near my uh, home in Pittsburgh. I played several of those. I won a couple of them. It was amazing. I played online for a little bit during the pandemic. And it just eventually, there was no way to get the game to the table. Now, my son does like it, but it's not the same as playing it like competitively, which I really enjoy doing. I have a few decks that I really enjoy playing. And I've spent a fair amount of money on this game. Like nowhere near like Magic the Gathering money, but you know, I have a lot of decks. Um, so combined with the lack of events, uh, living in a new area where I don't have my keyboard friends, not really enjoying the online play of it. And the fact that they've put the game more or less permanently on hiatus, I say permanently, they say not permanently, but the algorithm is apparently broken. So they can't create new sets until they fix the algorithm. So they're currently reworking it. And because Asmodee owns fantasy flight, I do not expect it to actually happen. Um, they'll probably cancel it at some point just quietly by not releasing new content. It's probably dead. And that sucks because I've played like 300 games of Keyforge in the last two and a half years. And I love it. I wish I could keep playing it. Um, and I can also play it with my kids, but the, the way I used to play it, the way it kind of infected my life in 2019 is probably done for. <laughs> so, um, a great game, a great idea. It just didn't stand the test of time. And hopefully I'm wrong about that, but I I, I do think it's probably done. So Keyforge for me, uh, unfortunately, is now dead. Oh, well, the competitive game that I played, Anthony, in the same vein that you talked about was Star Trek Attack Wing. This was a, another miniatures game, but this one was based in the flight path system. I love Star Wars. I love Star Trek. I love a whole bunch of the different IPs and the fun stuff out there. But Star Trek Attack Wing really did attract me to that whole kind of competitive game model because it allowed you to build up, I guess, crew, right? A whole team of professionals to put on a capital ship instead of just like one individual that was tied to a particular ship or a plane or a dragon, if you play the D&D version of this, or any number of the other versions for this. So this was the one that allowed you to build up a massive squad of individuals that like their special abilities kind of triggered together, and it was so innovative and Euro game mechanics. Here's the problem. It's kind of broke, right? Like, the, like one of the designers, you know, there's two designers here. I'll leave out which one it was. But one of the designers kind of mentioned, like, there were some problems with it. And again, it was one of those situations where they kept releasing content without like significant gameplay. And there was there was definitely that ramping up of power. Like every faction, the new faction that came out was was significantly better than the last faction. Every wave was better than the previous faction. 
And the competitive play, like you mentioned, Anthony, just dried up almost immediately. Like the first one that came out, the Deep Space Nine version of it, did amazing. It was everywhere. And then the Borg version came out. You barely saw it. And then after that, there was just no hide or hear from this. You needed the competitive play model to be able to really get the most out of the game. That evaporated here. And once that evaporated from WizKids, then really what they were doing was like reprinting the the fig uh, i guess the ships here in every version possible oh this has no paint this has like one color paint you can paint this version paint you know it was just like they were reprinting the same models and just putting broken cards in there and like and the the models were never painted well they were never crafted well they were never good quality like the x-wing miniatures and again it broke my heart because again it was one of those situations where i love star trek and i was just like why are you making this game, you know, not available for, you know, play out there? And why are you making more and more ships that really just break the meta and they're just like carbon copies or worse versions of a thing? And they just mass produced it. And then they then they stopped it and then rebooted it. And now there's a brand new version of it. So like it's tweaked a little bit, but Again, if you invested like I did early on and now all these other things have happened, I still have my collection. I've stopped collecting it. I might pick up another, you know, Deep Space Nine figure or two. I want a comp I want a big competition at our local game store. I want the Deep Space Nine, you know, station, which was great. But I gave up after that. I, I was just like, all the things are wrong with this game in this series. And again, it was the day this game died for me. So Sad but true, Anthony. A lot of games, a lot of a lot of designers, uh, series, and a lot of publishers, unfortunately, out there in the world. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I remember watching you play this game at, at the store, and it was it was fun to watch. It was like it was a big epic experience, and then it just kind yeah. of faded away. Yeah, those those organized play events. I don't know what happened or why they happened that way, but. When they all evaporated, and I guess Magic is the only one that's, or Pokemon, Pokemon, Magic, maybe Yu-Gi-Oh, a couple of the card games, the collectible card games, maybe even the Hero Clicks possibly are still going, but everything else just did not last for so many reasons. So it's, it's quite unfortunate. There are many other games, unfortunately, but we'll leave that for a future episode, Anthony, as we weep over those game collections that we <laughs> spent a lot of money to, but they don't get out on the table. But Anthony... My friend, until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everybody. Bye. See ya. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? 
Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.